We're in Ezra, Ezra chapter 7. As mentioned, as, as, we've, uh, as we began the study of Ezra, it's interesting how it's broken up. We did, the author is a man named Ezra who we're finally going to be introduced to tonight in chapter 7. The first six chapters we looked at when King Cyrus gave the decree to a, to a man named Zerubbabel, and there was a priest, Joshua, that they sent back to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem after it had been torn down by Nebuchadnezzar and when the, the tribe of Judah was taken off into captivity. So the temple has now been rebuilt, and that's where we left off in our study last time as we finished up in chapter 6. Chapter 7 picks up over about roughly 60 years later after chapter 6 ends. Chapter 7 begins. And as we mentioned, if it was going to go in order, we would have to fit the book of Esther in between chapter 6 and chapter 7. As it goes in the, as we go through it, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, we're going to finish Ezra, then we'll do Nehemiah, then we'll look at the book of Esther. But chronologically, that fits in. The, the king at the time of Esther, his name is Xerxes, or as he is referred to in the book of Esther is Ahasuerus. Um, we're going to see him when we get there. He's important because his name Xerxes, his son we are introduced to tonight in chapter 7, verse 1, Artaxerxes. After these things, it tells us, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, there went up Ezra, son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalem, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, some son of Azariah, son of Marioth, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzai, son of Bukai, son of Abishuai, son of Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief, of pre, the chief priest, this Ezra. Just in case you were wondering about which Ezra, that's the Ezra we're talking about. <laughs> this Ezra went up from Babylon, verse 6. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all he requested because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. Some of the sons of Israel and some of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants went up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. He came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which it was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon, and on the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem because the good hand of his God was upon him. Verse 10, for Ezra had set in his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. I, I took a big chunk there, and we're going to spend a little bit of time going through that, but I think it's important that verse 10 we look at first because it begins with that word for. And when we look at that as a conjunction, that is, that is bringing greater clarity to what was just said or bringing reasoning to what is just said. And when we look at verse 6, it says, Ezra went up from Babylon, for he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. Well, when we look at that again now in light of verse 10, it tells us that he studied the law, he practiced the law, and he taught the law. That is, if you want to be skilled in the law of the Lord, follow that outline. Study it, practice it, and teach it. He was a student of the law of God as a scribe and a skilled scribe that said there he was one that would copy the law. He would write it out. But it went way further than that for this man, Ezra. When it says that he, he, he studied it, note at first it says that he set his heart to study it to practice it, and to teach it. He set his heart. He made a determination in his heart that this is the way I'm going to live. This is the way I'm going to walk. I am going to read the word of God. I'm going to study it. I'm going to meditate on it. Literally, that word means to inquire of it. 
He used the word of God as his compass. He inquired of the word of God. He studied the word of God. I don't know how many of you make that a regular practice in your Bible study time or in your Bible reading time, but do you go expecting to hear something from God when you read it, or is it just an exercise? You don't need to answer that out loud and incriminate yourself. Do you inquire of the word of God? Do you go into it with, Lord, I need an answer for something, or I need to hear from you, or I am facing this. I want to know what you have to say to me, or does that thought scare you? (laughs) He inquired of the word word of God. If you were up at the men's retreat this past weekend, I know you were blessed, but one of the sessions that we had looked at Psalm 1, and if you'll remember, anybody there remember the title of that message, Psalm 1? It was titled, Blessed Up or Messed Up. That was the title of that message. But I just want to read this real quickly, and most of you maybe know this already. Psalm 1, David said, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it when he has spare time throughout the day. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Day and night. That is, that, is, that is a man like Ezra. That is a man like David, who the word of God is more than just a reference point. Before I go to work in the morning, it's something that guides and directs my steps all day long. I meditate on it day and night. I want to be a man like Ezra and a man like David, where every decision that I make goes back to what what have I been learning? How has God been speaking to me in his word? And the benefits are clear. Verse three, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. A tree firmly planted. I love that picture for a lot of reasons. A lot of ones that are very obvious, but some that aren't so obvious. He'll be like a tree planted. How much input does the tree have as to where it's planted? None, right? But wherever that tree is planted, wherever you and I are planted, if the word of God is our compass, is our base, is where we go, we will thrive wherever we plant it. I love this in this verse. It says, Ezra had set his heart already when he was in Babylon, when he was in captivity, when he was born and raised as a slave in, a, in captivity, like Daniel set his heart, determined in his heart, I will honor God. He said, I'm gonna set it in my heart. No matter where I'm planted, no matter where God puts me, I am going to study God's word. I am going to make it my compass. I am going to inquire of God's word. But it doesn't just stop there. Notice, inquire of the law, study the law of the Lord and to practice it. So often again, that can be a stumbling point for many. It says, you know, okay, I, I, I start out in the day and this sounds great and I'm, I'm getting this and man, I'm, I'm encouraged as I step out during the day. But then something is presented to me where I have an opportunity to now put this into practice, what I've learned and uh, you know what, my flesh steps in, I'm gonna go this way that, you know, and get off into another direction. James addresses this. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, receive it. That's not the problem, though, for most, which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Delude, water down, deceive. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately has forgotten what a kind of a person he was. He likens the person who hears the word of God and not doing it to somebody who looks at the mirror, gets a good idea. Okay, that's that's what I look like. Walk away and have a totally different image of yourself than what you just saw in the mirror. 
forgetting that it has this idea of purposely forgetting what I just saw. Purposely forgetting that guy that's out of shape and, 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 and overweight and needs a haircut to the guy that's walking, man, I got everything in control. Legend in my own mind as I walk away from the mirror. And Paul uses that, or I'm sorry, James uses that as an illustration, but he takes it to the, the next level when he's talking about, now that's physical, that's giving us a physical example. He's talking about in the heart now how foolish it would be to get the word of God speaking to our hearts, and yet when we walk away and we're walking through our daily lives, we forget all of that. He goes on to say, but again, but, verse 25, one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not only having become a forgetful hearer, but not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Will be blessed. Intently looking into, that phrase Look there is to get into a position where you can see clearly. Word used as Paul or Peter stooped in to look into the empty tomb, getting into a position where you could see, guys, the best position that you can be in when you are intently looking into the word of God is as low as you can be in that state of humility. God, what is it that you want to speak to me about? Show me in these areas in in my life. And when we are an effectual doer of the word of God, it says you will be blessed. That's a promise. Go into James later on, chapter two, and circle that because that is a promise. An effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. You wanna be blessed in what you do? Husbands, do you want your marriages to be blessed? Love your wives as Christ loved the church and your marriage will be blessed what the Bible says to do. I've said this many times to the men. Perhaps some of you can answer it for me. Finish the sentence for me. You want a wife that's a queen? Treat her like one. Ladies, you want your marriages to be blessed? Submit yourself to your husband. It's not a status thing. It's an orderly thing. Come along beside him. Be his helper. We need help. Be an encouragement to him. Bible says you do that, your marriage will be blessed. You want to be blessed in your job? You want to be blessed where you work? Treat your boss with absolute respect. Submit to the authority that he has over you. Show up early. Work hard, not just when anybody else is is looking. Work hard when no one else is looking. Work as unto the Lord. You get an unreasonable request from your boss at work, do twice as much as he asks. Jesus said, somebody comes and tells you to carry their stuff a mile, that was an unreasonable request, I'm busy. Jesus said, carry it two miles. You want to be blessed at work? You want to be blessed in your dealings with difficult people? Love them as Christ loves you, loves you. Because you're not all that easy to get along with. Do it. Study it. Use it as a compass. I love this. <laughs> this Ezra said in his heart to study the law, to inquire of it. And then when he got that word from the Lord, those things, he walked in obedience. And notice then it says that he taught his statutes and ordinances in Israel. He taught it. And guys, that's the proper order. Learn it. Obey it. Then teach it. So many people say, you know, oh, got it. I want to tell somebody about it. Just walk it out first. Understand it completely. Walk it out first. And the Bible tells us how we're supposed to teach the word of God, the truth of the word of God as it comes, right? We're supposed to speak the truth in love, right? Speak the truth in love. Because honestly, if we... Speak the truth without love, that's brutality. 
If we just bring it with a hammer, that's just brutality. But if we speak love without truth, that's fantasy. That's, that, 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 that doesn't exist. You know, they, they have this international week of happiness. Yeah, yeah that works. <laughs> We're just gonna name it, right? Yeah, love without truth is fantasy. But love and truth without action, that's hypocrisy. And people see right through that. Tell them, even as nice as you are, lovingly as you are, tell them how to walk, and you're walking a different direction. Hypocrisy. People see right through that. Speak the truth in love. But again, that's why it's so important that we walk it out, that we live it out. And I love that this Ezra, that as he's introduced, and we're, we're going to notice Ezra is writing this. Ezra is speaking about himself. He's going to switch to the first person as we get to the end of, of chapter 7. But he set his heart. <laughs> Ray, Pastor Ray, who was here last week, he had shared with me, I just remembered this, with that speak the truth in love. I'm trying to remember how he put it. Fact without tact will get you smacked. That's what it was. Speak the truth in love. All right. But notice something too, and and I I did this purposely to set up this other thing because we're going to see a phrase repeated five times with varying degrees, just very slight differences. Five times in the two chapters we're going to look at tonight. And the first one is in verse six. Notice it says, the king granted him all he requested because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. We're going to see that five different times. The hand of the Lord his God was upon him. The hand of God. The hand of all-powerful, almighty, sovereign God was upon Ezra. And we started with verse 10 because it says, for Ezra had set his heart to study the word, practice it, and to teach it. Because he determined that he was going to follow the word of God, he was going to live it out, he was going to practice it, and he was going to teach others. It says the hand of God was upon him. The hand of God was upon him. And we see from this first example in, in that because the hand of the Lord was upon him, he received preferential treatment. He received favor, preference from the king. Guys, as the children of God, we receive preferential treatment. You might say, that doesn't happen for me, this type of da-da-da-da-da. Well, you just hang on to that attitude. We'll discuss that in a minute. But Because the hand of the Lord was upon him, it tells him he goes to the king. Ezra goes to the king, the most powerful man. And Ezra, we, we see his pedigree and we see the fact that he, he loved the Lord and followed after the Lord. But to Artaxerxes, Ezra is a slave. Ezra is nobody special. But in the eyes of God, he's a man of God. And so when he goes to Artaxerxes, it says he got all he requested. I have all underlined twice there, everything. Because, though, notice the hand of the Lord was upon him. So we see preference that he receives because he's a man of God and he has a, the Lord has his hand upon him. But notice also in verse 9, it says, On the first of the first month, he began to go up to, from Babylon. And on the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. A four-month journey, 900 miles. Notice, because the good hand of his God was upon him. Here we see, if we are children of God, following the, the precepts of God, living them out, teaching them, following after that, guys, we, we see the providence of God. It says that this journey was completed, 900 miles, four months. Now, that's a long time to travel 900 miles, but we're going to see that it wasn't just Ezra. There was over 1,750 men plus women and children that are making this journey. So imagine moving that many people and coordinating and, and leading all of this. But it says they made it because of the hand of God. And that's a great reminder for me and you. That guys, we are where we are because of the providential hand of God. He is the one who works all things together for good. 
for those who love God and called according to his purposes. He is the one, the providential hand of God. And we see that Ezra sees that, gives credit to God for that. Again, just to reiterate, verse 10, and then we'll, we'll move on. Set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. That's the proper order, study, practice, teach, but all three are commanded. That, that we are commanded to study the word of the Lord, we're commanded to live the word of the Lord, to practice it, and to teach it. We are to pass this knowledge, this word, along. Great example in Ezra. Well, verse 11 Now, this is a copy of the decree which King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra, the priest, the scribe. Again, he was telling us, learned in the words and the commandments of the Lord and his statutes to Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, here's the letter. Won't he have a surprise one day? To Ezra, the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, perfect peace. And now I have issued a decree to any of the people of Israel and their priests and the Levites in my kingdom who are willing to go to Jerusalem may go with you. So Artaxerxes says, not only can you go, anybody who wants to and is willing to can go. Verse 14, for as much as you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your land, and to bring the silver and gold which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. With all the silver and gold which you find in the whole province of Babylon, along with the free will offering of the people and the priests who offered willingly for the house of their God, which is in Jerusalem, with this money, he's saying, you clean out the treasuries, taking silver and gold and all of this stuff with you. With this money, therefore, you shall diligently buy bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings and offer them on the altar of the house of your God, which is in Jerusalem. Remember, this is not to rebuild the temple. The temple's been rebuilt. Artaxerxes is saying, yes, go and take whatever you need out of the treasury in order to buy all the sacrifices and take care of all of that that you need once you get there. Verse 18, whatever seems good to you and to your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and the gold, you may do according to the will of your God. This is not the king of Israel talking. This is Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, Many, many gods, all of this kind of thing. This is Artaxerxes talking. Whatever seems good to you according to the will of your God. Also the utensils which are given to you for the service of the house of your God deliver in full before the God of Jerusalem. The rest of the needs for the house of your God for which you may have occasion to provide, provide for it from the royal treasury. Help yourself. I, even I, King Artaxerxes, issue a decree to all the treasurers who are in the province beyond the river that whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, may require of you, it shall be done diligently. So all you IRS agents over there collecting taxes, whatever Ezra wants, Ezra gets. Does put a limit, 100 talents of silver, which is roughly three and a half tons. 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt as needed. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be done with zeal for the house of God of heaven, so that there will not be wrath against the kingdom of, of the king and his son. That, and we look at that, and again, it blows me away reading this. I was reading it earlier, just kind of laughing. Again, this is Artaxerxes, king of Persia, most powerful man in the world. However, as I mentioned at the beginning, his dad, Xerxes, his stepmom, Esther, and he no doubt witnessed and saw everything that went on as we're going to see when we get to the book of Esther. 
the powerful hand of God, how things were moved and, and changed and, and, and Mordecai and Haman and all of these types, uh, the, the whole story play out. And the God of Israel that protected Israel, no doubt, again, the, that passing through here. So he's saying, that God, I want on my side. So whatever it needs to be done for his house there in Jerusalem, do it with, not only do it and have, uh, we'll pay for it, but do it with zeal. <laughs> I love verse 24. Who also, we also inform you that it is not allowed to impose tax, tribute, or toil on any of the priests, Levites, singers, doorkeepers, or Nephilim in the servants of the house of, of the Lord. Amen. No taxes for the pastors. You, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God, which is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges that they may judge all the people who are in the province beyond the river, even all those who know the laws of your God, that you may teach anyone who is ignorant of them. And I love that. Verse 25, not only take this, not only take the money, do everything, but tell everybody, teach everybody, everything, appoint magistrates, governors, uh, everybody, the ruling, basically set up the governmental structure and tell them all about God and pass all of that around. And ACLU, you can just go jump in the lake. Whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed upon him strictly, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of goods or for imprisonment. That's quite a letter that Artaxerxes writes, and we see in verse 27 the response of Ezra, blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers. Notice, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart. He understands. He gets it. He sees it. He, 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 he understands again back at the beginning, I got everything I requested because God's hand is on me. We're going to make it all the way to Jerusalem because God's hand is on us. And all of this stuff all happened because God moved on Artaxerxes' heart. It wasn't because he just is this really swell guy. It's because God's moving on his heart. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. God's hand is involved in every bit of this. Put such a things in the king's heart to adorn the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Verse 28 is where it switches to the first person, and I love that as he's now reflecting on this, and has extended loving kindness to me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. Thus I was strengthened according to, here it is, the hand of the Lord my God upon me. And I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. I love this because, again, as, as Ezra is now relating this story to the children of Israel, but to us as he's doing this, he reached this point, again, where he's recounting this, and it became so personal to him. It went to, from the, yeah, he and them and they to me. And he's blown away. Because no doubt at this moment, again, put yourself in Ezra's position. He's a priest, and he feels the Lord laying on his heart to go ask the king if he can have all of these provisions to go back to Jerusalem and begin worship of the true and living God, ignoring the gods that are in Persia. We're going to go and restart this. Imagine that. And faith, yes, but faith, and as he's taking that and walking in that faith, no doubt kind of draining. No doubt maybe uh, taking a little doubt with him with that. Okay, how's this all going to play out? And it says that as he sees this and God's love extending to me, thus I was, I was strengthened according to the hand of the Lord, my God upon me. Guys, the hand of God is personal. It is personal for each one of us as we study his word and as we walk this out and as we share with others. The almighty hand of God is personal for each one of us. I don't know when the last time was you spend enough time 
just reflecting on the personal nature of the love of God towards you to where it just blew you away, but it does to me often. I am just blown away about how personal God's love is. So often we can read a verse like, God so loved the world, and yeah, he just kind of threw this big blanket of love over the world. No, it was individual and personal for every one of us. I get so blown away sometimes. I share with this. I, it, it maybe sounds, sounds bad, but I, it's just the way I get this narcissistic view about God's love. Like it's all about me. I don't know how after he dumps it all on me, how he has any left for you. <laughs> but that's the, that's the awesome thing about an infinite God who has infinite love. Because when he dumps an infinite amount of love on me, how much is left? An infinite amount. (laughs) And it's directed towards you personally. Don't let the enemy ever convince you that you are not in the center of God's love. And Ezra is just so blown away by this. It's just like, wow. And it strengthened him. And it should strengthen you and me to to persevere because the hand of Almighty God is on us. Well, chapter 8, it says he gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. There really is, I mean, he didn't write with chapter 8. He just keeps on going. Now, these are the heads of the fathers of the households in the genealogical enrollment of those who went up with me from Babylon in the reign of Artaxerxes. The sons of Phineas and Gershom, and I've already impressed you with my reading of the names earlier, so we'll just skip down. <laughs> Verse 14 kind of goes through, he, he goes through all of that, you added all that. We're looking at, again, roughly about 1,500 men. But it says in verse 15, now I assembled them at the river that runs to Ahava where we camped for three days. And when I observed the people and the priests, I did not find any Levites there. And that's a problem. Because if we're going to go back and we're going to honor God according to the way his word tells us, they're going to need Levites to do the work that is necessary in the temple. Because only certain people, you know, there were only the descendants of Aaron could do the sacrificial work. The sons of Levi, the Levites, they had other work that had to be done. So he's saying, this is a problem. So I sent for Eleazar, Ariel, Shemaiah, uh, El Nathan, Jerob, another El Nathan, and a regular Nathan, Zechariah and Meshulam, the leading men, and for Joriab and El Nathan, another one, the teachers. And I, said to, I sent them to Edo, the leading man, at the place of Casaphia, and I told them what to say to Edo and his brothers, the temple s- servants, and the place at Casaphia, that is, to bring ministers to us for the house of our God. And notice verse 18, according to the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of insight of the sons of uh, Mahali, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah and his sons and brothers, 18 men. I appreciate that. Just 18 of them. Don't have to name them. But here we see again, guys, the providential hand of God. Ezra is stepping out in obedience, following what God commanded him. Again, he receives all of the provision that he needed from Artaxerxes. The the call goes out to all of the people to come. He realizes no Levites came. So that's a problem. Guess what? God provides. As God's hand is upon us, we can expect his provision that he will provide for us everything that we need in order to do what it is that he's called us to do. Pastor Chuck, you know that. I mean, his, one of his favorite sayings, where, where God guides, God provides. And when God's hand is on us and we are following in his word and diligently seeking after him, walking in that, teaching it, we can expect his provision in order to accomplish his work. This isn't a name it and claim it thing. His work being completed, not, not my wishes, not my, my, my wants, his desires. 
as in Hashabiah, Jeshariah, the sons of Merari, with his brothers and the sons, 20 men, and 220 of the temple servants whom David and the princes had given for the service of the Levites, all of them designated by name. So here we see the, the group grows to over 750 men, now with the Levites that are needed, along with women and children. Verse 21, I like, I like this little section here as it gets to us. It says, then. So they have all of the financial provision. Now they have all of the manpower that's needed. Everything seems to be in order. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek him, a safe journey for us, our little ones and all our possessions, for I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way because we had said to the king, the hand of our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek him, but his power and his anger are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter, and he listened to our entreaty. Now, I have to I'll just I'll put it out there. I'm confused a little bit by the word that's translated ashamed there. It's translated ashamed in every translation I looked at. So I'm not going to say that I'm going to argue against every biblical scholar that's translated the Bible before, but I'm going to argue against every one that's translated. Just hear me out. That word can also mean hesitated or delayed. And to me, that seems to make more sense here because I hesitated to go to the king to ask him for protection because we had already told the king that God's going to protect us, that the hand of God is on us, and, and whoever the hand of God is on doesn't have anything to worry about. It's the one who might come against us that would have something to worry about. I'm paraphrasing. So we hesitated to go to the king. Now, I don't think it changes the, the overall meaning if we leave the word ashamed in there, but to me that seems to make more sense because it says then we fasted and we sought the Lord and he answered. And to me, there's a huge principle in that. Why would we go to the world for a cheap imitation of what God gives us the authentic original of? Why would we go to the world for protection when the God of angel armies is on our side? But before they stepped out, they, they make this proclamation to the king, but they're not going to step out in presumption either. And I appreciate that because oftentimes we can do that. That's where this whole name it and claim it problem happens. We just, we're just going to step out and just do this and we're just going to name it and boom and presume that God's going to instead of seeking him first. And that's what they did. It says that he called them all together to fast and to seek God. And I think it's important that we, that we just pause there for a second because fasting is an important part of our Christian walk. Jesus said when you fast, not if you fast. He's assuming that his followers are going to fast. He says that Matthew chapter 6, you can look this up later if you'd like. It's on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, when you fast. And people ask a lot of questions about fasting, you know. What is it? How do you do it? And those types of things. Bottom line, fasting, literally, it's a compound word. It means without food. So people say, can I fast by not watching TV for a week? Or can I fast from this type of thing or that type of thing? And if you've done that before, I'm not saying you're necessarily wrong in doing that. But biblical fasting is basically, in a nutshell, setting aside, our, setting aside eating for a period of time to devote that time to seeking the Lord. It's it, people's, how long? However long it takes. However long God lays that on your heart. 
Sometimes it's a meal. Sometimes it might be an, okay, well, I'm gonna seek the Lord today during the day, so I'm gonna set aside, I'm not gonna eat breakfast or lunch. I'm gonna seek the Lord during that time. The time that I would normally spend in preparing the food, eating the food, denying my body its desire and craving for that in order to seek the Lord and to focus my attention on hearing from him. Some people say it's not a fast unless you go several days or whatever. Nothing biblical about that. There's wrong reasons to fast. Do not fast to gain God's approval. That doesn't work. That's, that's a works thing. Don't fast to feel better about yourself. Don't fast to fulfill some type of religious obligation. If you fast and you say, okay, well, Jesus told me, it says when you fast, so I need to fast, so I'm going to fast tomorrow. That's the wrong reason to do it. Don't fast to gain religious recognition either. That's what Jesus specifically speaks against here. Don't, I find it interesting that, that Jesus so plainly says that in here. Yet I can't tell you how many people come up and say, I just want to let you know I'm fasting. What are you telling me for? <laughs> I, I don't need to know that. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, you should go to every effort to make sure people don't know you're fasting. He said, anoint your head, you know, all this kind of stuff so that you don't look gloomy, like, oh, I'm so hungry, you know. Yeah, leave empty candy wrappers around. I mean, and make it look like I've been eating all day, you know. It's between you and God. Now, that does not mean that you can't fast corporately like they're doing. There's been, there's been times when we'll, a group of us will fast because we're seeking the Lord about something in particular, and we'll say, okay, let's set aside Wednesday to, as a time of praying and fasting. I mean, that's totally, that's not what I'm talking about, but so many people do it to, to somehow gain recognition. And, and Jesus said, if that's your deal, tell everybody, because that's the only reward you're going to get. So hopefully a whole bunch of people are real proud of you. But if you do it right, with the right heart, with the right intentions, there's a great promise again in here. So when should you fast? Well, if, you, if God is laying something on your heart, you're feeling a special pull towards that. God's saying, seek me. If a special need arises, and, and the, you know, there's something that, that is specific. And again, you're feeling that. Okay, set aside some time to seek the Lord. If you're seeking a specific answer for something. Just as a, as a for instance, I can remember, this goes back years and years ago. But there was something I, I needed an answer for. And it was, it, it was my wife and I, we were first married. And we were really going through a tough time. And she, it got to the point where she was ready to leave. And this was on a Sunday afternoon. And she said, she, she was leaving. And I said, and this again, I, that's why I knew it was the Lord. I said, give me till Thursday. And she said, what's Thursday? I said, I don't have any idea. But just give me till Thursday. And I started fasting and praying then like I've never prayed in my life. Because I had no idea how to fix the problem. I had no idea what to do. Monday, nothing. Tuesday, nothing. Wednesday morning, nothing. Wednesday afternoon, I'm on my face. Because God so clearly revealed to me, again, what I've shared a little bit earlier. He said, you are to love her like I love the church. You are to show her and spend every moment of the rest of your life proving to her you would die for her. It was that clear to me. And I started arguing with God. I tell her I love her all the time. It's her problem. Fix her. <laughs> he didn't let me get away with that. But bottom line, I've, I have stumbled and failed in that effort over the years, but I, that is still my goal every day to prove to her that I would die for her. But that's the answer I got. But it was an answer, again, that I sought the Lord specifically for that. What am I supposed to do about this? Because I was, I was out of answers. Is there, you seek the Lord when the Lord is laying it on your heart that there is something specifically that you need to humble yourself in, as that was for me. 
Perhaps it's a, an area of sin in your life that you're struggling with to, to get over, whether it's drinking or pornography or whatever it is. Fast and pray and seek the Lord for whatever that is that is needed in that. It says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That is a promise from the lips of Jesus. But I think it's important to see what he says. What is, when your father sees what is done in secret, where is that happening? In your heart. It's, it's a heart thing. It's not just, okay, as long as nobody else knows what I'm doing, that's secret. No, what's going on in your heart? God will see it. God will reward. And I love that as we see it even take place here. We fasted, verse 23, sought our God concerning this matter, and he listened to our entreaty. We're going to have to really, we're going to have to speed read here. Follow along with me. Verse 24, then I set apart 12 of the leading priests, two of them are named, 10 aren't, and I weighed out the, the silver, the gold, the utensils, the offering of the house of God, which is in the king and the counselors, the princes of all Israel presented there, had offered. Thus I weighed into their hands 650 talents of silver, the silver utensils worth 100 talents, 100 talents uh, of gold, 20 gold bowls worth 1,000 uh, derricks, two, two utensils, fine, shiny bronze, bronze, precious as gold. Obviously, Ezra can't carry it all, so he distributes it to all of them, and he says, I'm giving it all to you. When we get there, it's going to be weighed again. Just make sure you turn it all in. <laughs> then I said to them, you are holy to the Lord. Not only are these utensils and all of these other things holy, you are holy. You are holy unto the Lord. The utensils are holy, the silver and the gold, the free will offering to the Lord of your fathers. Watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leading priests and the Levites and the head of the father's household of Israel at Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites accepted and weighed out the silver and the golden utensils and brought them to Jerusalem to the house of God. Notice now, verse 31. Here we come to our fifth hand of the Lord, verse then we journeyed from the river Ahava on the 12th of the first month to go to Jerusalem, and the hand of the Lord our God was over us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and the ambushes by the way. Thus we came to Jerusalem and remained there three days. Guys, the hand of the Lord upon you, you can expect protection. God is going to watch over you. Until he is done using you, <laughs> I love the, the way I'd heard it one time. A man of God in the will of God is invincible until God says, come home. And so we see the hand of God here, the protection. If God is for me, who could be against me? Even if the enemy brings every one of his forces against us, guess what, guys? He who is in us is greater than he is in the world. And we out, the angel armies on our side outnumber them two to one. Not only are they more powerful, they outnumber them. On the fourth day, the silver and the gold utensils were weighed out in the house of our God in the hand of uh, Merimoth, the sons of Uriah the priest. And with him, Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. And with them were the Levites, Josabad, the sons of Jeshua, and Nobiah, the sons of Benui. Everything was numbered and weighed, and all the weight was recorded at the time. The exiles who had come from captivity offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all Israel. Notice twelve bulls, one for each tribe, not just the two. And ten lost tribes, nope, God doesn't lose anybody. Twelve bulls for all Israel. Ninety-six rams, seventy-seven lambs, twelve male goats for a sin offering. All as a burnt offering to the Lord. Then they delivered the king's edicts to the king's satraps and to the governors, the providences beyond the river, and they supported the people and the houses of God. Guys, again, just real quickly, Jesus told us, he said, you didn't choose me, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that lasts. God has given us each a commission. He has called us, he's equipped us, he has sent us out. 
And because of that, if we are in his word, we are using this as our compass, this as our guide, and we live it and we walk it out and we are teaching others the hand of God on us as we move forward in the calling that God has given to us. He said, ask whatever you want from the Father in my name, it will be given to you. With God's hand upon us, we can expect preference, preferential treatment. We can expect the providential hand of God to guide and direct us. We can expect provision. We can expect protection. And we can know it is all personal. It is all personal, the hand of God on us. Now, for you that were earlier, I told you I'd get back to you, that were saying, well, that's not happening to me, and I, I don't see that preferential treatment. I've been this, and I'm not getting that at work, and I'm not getting this. Psalm 8411 says, no good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. So, if you are in his word, and you are studying it, you are inquiring of it, and you are walking obediently in it, and teaching it to others, sharing it with others, and you don't get what you ask, do you know what that means? It's not good for you. Because it said no good thing will God withhold. You might think it's good. God says, I have something better. Just hang on, cowboy or cowgirl, and he says, trust me, you just keep walking in obedience, and you will receive favor, preference, providential hand of God, provision, and protection, because it's personal. Lord, we thank you for your, your message and your word. We thank you for a man like Ezra, who determined in his heart bury your word deep in his heart to walk in a manner worthy of the incredible gift that you had given to him and to teach it and to share it. And God, that's what we want. We want to be like Ezra. We want to be like David, meditating on your word day and night, using it as our compass, using it as our, as our foundation walking in it, obeying it, and sharing it. We thank you for your word, Lord. What a precious gift it is. Have your way in us. Again, Lord, we ask for your, your provision, your protection, your providential hand upon those that are going through the, the suffering and the difficulties in Texas. Lord, would you show yourself strong? Would you show your love through your people in this time? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.